Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you don't already follow us, look us up at... The Rugby Dungeon, or me, at Jay Beardmore. We also have a Rugby Dungeon Facebook group, which I talk about every week, and yet I never do anything substantial with. Something is going to happen substantial with that group shortly. Today, we've got Drew Mitchell. I'm not going to give an introduction. You know exactly who he is. Uh, but I will give an introduction to our sponsors, who are Field & Flower. Field & Flower deliver fresh locally sourced, grass-fed meat direct to your door. You can choose from one of their many boxes, and let me tell you, they are incredible. Don't just believe it from me, believe it from all the other guys who listen to the Ropey Dungeon also signed up. If you go onto their website, uh, www.fieldandflower.com, you can pick from one of their many, many boxes, from the barbecue box to the best of Field and Flower box. There is so many boxes to choose from. Just go on there, enter the code at checkout, which is rugby20, and get your discount as well as your fresh box of grass-fed meats direct to your house. Why is grass-fed better? Because it's got more omega-3, it's got more vitamins A and E, and, of course, it's all traceable. But you don't really need to know it's traceable because I can tell you right now, it's all from Somerset and it's all absolutely delicious. So, Field & Flower, those are the people that fund all this down here. They sponsor us, allow us to do what we do, getting all the rugby players on to talk to you guys. Go on there, support their product. It's an excellent product. And by doing that, you're also supporting the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you very much. And now, it's Mr. Drew Mitchell. Okay, now I am joined by the guy who has probably more fun than any other professional rugby player. It is Mr. Drew Mitchell. How are you, Drew? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, if this uh, start sounds a little bit rehearsed, it's because this is our third time doing it now. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's, um, we've had a little bit of trouble um, you know, with a bit of technology, but um, I'm sure we'll get there in the end. <laughs> so for the third time this evening, what have you been up to tonight? Well, the first time we spoke, I just cracked the bottle of rosé, but now I'm... Um, you know, a few a few sips in, um, but no, it's a nice summer's afternoon here in um, well, summer's evening actually here in uh, in Toulon. Um, just got off the the golf course. I went around for a bit of just nine holes with uh, with Matt Guido and his old man. So um, oh, nice. not a bad afternoon. Oh, has Matt got his family coming over, or do they all live in France? No, no, no. So his parents have been here for oh, probably the best part of two and a half months now. Um, ah, superb. Uh, 
Two and a half months? Or, no, actually, that's probably a lie. Probably a month and a half now. Um, but they're going to be here through to, obviously, um, you know, this weekend's game. And I think they, they shoot back early next week. Oh, uh, right. I see. So um, how often do you and Matt get to go back to Australia? Uh, not too much at all, really. Um, probably once a year. Uh, we, we probably... We, we, we sort of plan to go back once a year. But this year... Um, in fact, I, I didn't want to go home. I was just going to stay over here and, ex- and really get amongst the European summer. Um, however, you know, I've got I've just re- I've had surgery a month ago, and um, so I'm actually going to go home now and um, and do my rehab back home. Oh, nice. Um, now, but before we cut out first time, you were just telling me about the surgery you've had. What was the problem? Yeah, so I, well, probably for. The, the best part of a year now I've just had I had some pains around my pubic bone um, you know we were not sure if it was sort of osteitis pubis or whether it was hernias or if it was um, just you know because then I started getting referrals into my doctors yeah. um, hamstrings and, and, and the works um, it was one thing that we were able to manage uh, you know it would hurt before you know once I went out for warming uh, for the warm-up but you know for training and games but once I warmed up at it seemed to ease a fair bit, and then obviously after the game, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be in a you know a, a, a bit of pain, but mm. it normally got me out of a couple of sessions at the beginning of the week, so it wasn't <laughs> too bad. Um, but then it just sort of gradually got worse and worse, and um, you know, we went for scans, you know, a number of times, and and still weren't able to kind of diagnose it, and got to a point where we were playing Clermont in Marseille. Mm. Um, about 20 minutes in, went into contact, and my my doctor really pulled me up and. And then I think maybe three or four minutes later, I, I, I called for a mark in my own 22 and and probably put in one of the worst kicks you've probably seen. Um, <laughs> but I, I just had no I had no strength at that point and basically then um, had had to, to get off the field. And uh, so once I knew once it once it pulled me up that it was something more significant. Um, again, we went for scans and nothing really sort of showed. But um, spoke to a few different specialists and found one in Monaco. Unfortunately, um, Monaco is its own country, so yeah. my French insurance and um, you know private health and all that sort of stuff isn't completely covered in, in Monaco. Oh, is that right? And this guy just happened to be the most expensive groin surgeon in the world. Well, I, I can't imagine you're going to find a cheap groin surgeon in Monaco. In fact, that's no, the last place no, I'd no. look. And yeah, so... Um, you know, you know, it's not often you, you, you're paying for your own, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do at this time of your career to kind of keep going. So, mind you, I, I did have probably one of the, the better views that you could ever get from a hospital. I was right overlooking the, the racetrack and the uh, the port of Monaco. So At least you know um, it's money well spent then. Yeah, I was I was considering at one point making sure I got an infection just so I could stay there a bit longer. <laughs> I was um, just rub some dirt into it. I was it. able to order in some sushi and it all like <laughs> everything, so it was uh, it wasn't too bad. Oh, superb! Did you get to Monaco much or any of the other European cities? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I tried to. Well, I mean, I I came over here to kind of experience experience Europe, uh, you know, as much as I can. I mean, you know, where we are in Australia, we're pretty pretty isolated in the sense that we don't have too many countries that we can get to in a, on a yeah. short flight so um yeah i mean I, I went up actually a week after my surgery i went back to monaco for the monaco grand prix nice um, and uh, i took one of the young um aussie sevens boys they played in london the week before and uh his name's samuel fig he came and stayed with me for a few nights and so I, um, you know, took him to Monaco, and as you do, we got the uh, we got the helicopter from Nice to Monaco, and 
watch the race on a super yacht and all the all the work. So that he thought superb. it was. Well, I kind of made it out as if it was like a, a weekly thing that I get up to. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, yeah, so he enjoyed himself, but um, obviously it's not something. You know, it's it's new to me as well. But I didn't I didn't sort of let on too well, much. Well, I mean, uh, if you, well, I mean, if you carry on like that, they may as well get you in to do uh, recruitment for Toulon. Just show the lads about <laughs> take them to a yacht. Yeah, well, I mean, mate, I mean, I think you know that's that's one of the great. Um, you know, draw cards, I suppose, playing here in Toulon is not only the the rugby side of things, but it's we're in a, a genuinely beautiful part of the world and, um, you know, sort of right on the Mediterranean and, you know, you've got some, some spots, you know, on, uh, you know, north and south up the coast and, yeah. um, you know, and some great opportunities to go out there and experience things that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So for me, I, uh, I've come over here and... Uh, and said to myself that I, I try not to say no too much uh, if I was offered the opportunity to go and do something or experience something. So, um, you know, whether it be going up to, to Paris and having dinner with the president of France and the, the governor general of Australia or... Have you done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Just, brilliant. Um, yeah, it was the... Um, the first ever state visit by the Governor General of Australia. Uh, Sorry, uh, what? just for the uneducated, like myself, what is the yeah. Governor General of Australia? Um, so it's like the, the basically the Queen's representative. Um, be, um, so we have our Prime Minister and the Governor General's, I guess, the Queen's representative within the Commonwealth, you know, because we're in the Commonwealth. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and then that day, I think there was maybe a $13 billion deal signed for submarines between the French and Australia as well. Oh, nice. That's not the Toulon wage cap, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're um, being manufactured here in Toulon. Um, so it was. Um, oh, really? No, it's not our. It's not our wage cap. <laughs> um, it just so happened that they're actually also, um, you know, being made here in Toulon as well. So uh, I think I, I did. I did suggest to to the, actually the head of that company because he was there at the dinner as well that night that perhaps each of the uh, submarines that were getting sent to Australia, thirteen of them, uh, should be named after one of the players here. Absolutely. Um, so I'm hoping that there'll be a Mitchell submarine going around somewhere and. Um, you know, hopefully it's it's radars on point and it doesn't sort of you know <laughs> go go off course every, all that often. Uh, so was it Holland uh, that you had dinner with? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It was maybe you know maybe a hundred guests in the Palais de Lice, so uh-huh. um, you know really sort of grand um, type venue. And you know, it was, it was just one of those things that I just myself and uh, myself and James O'Connor went. And, That's superb. Um, yeah, we just sort of said you know like we just better off saying yes to these things because you know yeah it's not every day you, you're um, you're having sort of dinner with those types of people and got to have a chat with them and uh, the governor general actually came to the world cup uh, um, to a number of our games as well he used to be it's peter cross uh, sir peter crossgrove so okay. he um used to be the head of the army australian army but um also used to after that um was the president of the australian rugby union so ah um, right so he's really had a little bit of a relationship with him through through that and so yeah, we had a good yarn about uh, about rugby um, up there in the Palais de Lice. Yeah. And, and is Holland into his rugby? I mean, he I think he's famously into his football, but not so much. Yeah, rugby. I mean, so yeah, well, like obviously we were, he uh, he came up and introduced himself, and uh, yeah, we had a quick chat. But he said, I think you know the man you, you need to speak to is um, the Governor General, and uh, you know we spoke to he and his wife, um, who's um, you know pretty pretty keen on rugby, the, the, the both of them. Oh, that's absolutely superb. So I, yeah. I assume then when you came over from Australia, because you were playing good rugby there and obviously it's a nice place to be, one of the main things was to see Europe. But I don't imagine that the French season gives you all that much opportunity though. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are there are weeks off here and there um, because of the Six Nations and uh, you know and um, the spring tours as well. We get like a week off here and there, and uh, but not every club gets the fortune of ha- having um, the complete week off. Yeah. Whereas Bernard Laporte will say to us, if we're at this point by the you know on the ladder by by the time that comes around. You get ten days off completely. Oh, okay. So, so is that a bit of an a bit of an incentive for you boys to work hard? Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a carrot. So you know, previously we've got it, and you know, I've gone over to Morocco. I've gone to Ski Week in Austria. Um, nice. Uh, is skiing yeah, covered by your insurance? I thought that was a little bit. Oh, uh, um... it's it's one of those things that you only post photos <laughs> once you, once you get back and you're not injured. You don't have to get a plane back with a broken leg and then pretend yeah, that well, you did it on the uh, on the training. That field. would be that would be where you have to be a little bit creative with your story. But if you get back and you're, you're healthy, then you post photos and um, you know and and touch wood so far I've, uh, I've been pretty lucky with all that and um but yeah i mean it's, i think for me it's it's important to get away and um i've always sort of you know like the seasons along whether it's here in europe or also back in super rugby and and you know international rugby back in australia seasons along so if you get the opportunity to get away from it mentally yeah then that's that's the most important thing for me i think you know my first um actually my first pre-season i i completely got away from it and my fitness suffered and it took me a long wait, long time to kind of get back into it. So then the next pre-season, I did nothing but train the entire time. Mm-hmm. And sort of halfway through the year, mentally, I was just drained. Um, so it's one of those things that you just, you gain that experience to what works for you. And what works for me won't necessarily work for the next guy. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, yeah, like I say, one of those things that you, you, you gain that sort of experience through, um, you know, the, the, the more time you spend in those environments and and uh, and go through those types of situations. Interesting. So you, so you obviously made this decision to move over to um, move over to France whilst you were very much involved with the Australia team, and it is really a trade off. You know, do I go over to France? Do I basically put a postponement on my international career? So yeah. presumably, when you were called up for the World Cup, that must that, that must have been fantastic. Best of both worlds. Well, yeah, I mean, it was uh, once it happened, but the, <laughs> to be honest, there's a few um, nervous moments for me because I'd known for a while that um, Matt Gibbs had been in communication with Michael Checker about him going back. Yeah. And uh, and about the potential of, you know, a, a cap kind of cut off and all that type of thing. And, um, you know, and each, each time Matt would say, yeah, I spoke to Check today, uh, blah, 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 you know, like whatever it might have been. And, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, did he mention anything about me or, <laughs> you know, nothing, looking at my phone, nothing, nothing for a long time. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm maybe it's just it's just to get giddy back, which is obviously, you know, the giddo look claws or whatever. But the cap was 60, 60, uh, 60 caps and I had 63. So I thought maybe I was a chance. Oh, perfect. But for a long time, I was just... I, uh, you know, I didn't hear anything, and Matt was was speaking to him, and and there was no mention of me, and then uh, and it happened uh, after we played cast one one game at uh, here in Mayol, our, our home ground, and went into the dressing room afterwards and had a missed call from him. So um, I bet normally you I, I wouldn't be so quick to call back, but quickly made made sure I, I found myself in a quiet part of the room and, and gave him a call back and. And uh, and that was where he where he said you know uh, we'd like you to come back so yeah what that's... is what are the actual rules it's something like your name's got some rhyme with ditto and it's over sixty caps or something <laughs> yeah so I mean I think um, I mean Czech's just a guy that 
basically do everything that he can to, you know, to put out the best team possible. And, and not, not only just within for the Wallabies, but also, you know, like I think you've seen in the last 12 months in his tenure that he's starting to, to get players back in Australia as well. So, mm. um, you know, I think there's... Previously, we've seen only guys towards the back end of their careers um, move over to Europe or to France or the UK to, you know, I guess traditionally to, to cash in, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but more recently, you start to see younger guys that may, may may kind of assume that their path is blocked because there's other young guys that have cemented those positions or, or alternatively, they just want to go and experience something different. Um but they've still they've come over here and they they gain that experience from playing a different type of footy and and also playing alongside people from different cultures and who have a different approach to the game that have then basically upskilled themselves to a point where they've got even more to to offer the game of rugby in Australia. So um, that's where Czech's also been really good at um, you know luring guys like Leroy Houston, yeah, who's been tremendous for Bath. Um, yeah, he really has. You know, for for the last few seasons and. You know, he's, he's got him back now playing in Australia. And, um, you know, Sukobi Kepu, who came over here and, and tried it over here, it didn't necessarily suit him and, and he's gone back. So it's it's definitely not a thing for everyone. And um, and also, uh, you know, Czech sort of well, is, is very, he's very good at communicating with players and, um, you know, and just sort of gauging your interest in whether you want to stay or whether you want to go and all that type of thing. So it's not like... Once you leave the shores of Australia, that you've forgotten, um, especially under under Czech's um, coaching. And what's your view on that? Do you think it's a, overall a positive thing that he started to include foreign players? Well, yeah, I, I think it had to happen eventually. Um, and I think that any countries that that aren't doing it will, you know, will start sort of changing. I think, um, you know, you see South Africa. Do, I, I think really the only two teams that are doing it now are New Zealand and um, and England. Yeah. Uh, I think the Argentinians are trying to, you know, like, you know, get everyone back to play in that Super Rugby side. Um, so they're sort of changing the laws a little bit. But, um, you know, I think, like anything, there's going to be teething problems, and they'll they'll work out what really best suits them. Um, but for Australia, I mean, we've got five professional teams, um, and you know, we've got we, we see good young talent as well as experienced players going over to, um, you know, play play overseas, whether it be Japan, France, uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, wherever, but could potentially still offer the, you know, the Australian rugby, you know, quite a lot in, yeah. in, in their game, but not only just in the game, but perhaps experience they could pass on to others and, um, and also knowledge of the different, um, you know, types of and styles of rugby that we're playing over here. So yeah. um, I think it's, I think it's great to tap into it. I don't think it should be a free for all. I think, um, the balance that Czech's got at the moment um, seems to be working uh, to a degree that, you know, like it's 60 caps but also seven years um, in in being involved at the Australian Rugby Union. So, Is it 60 and seven or 60 or seven? Uh, actually, I, I think it could be either or because, yeah. I, um, you know, I, the amount of test matches that are played these days, um, you can get 60 caps pretty quickly, whereas, um, you know, there's... You know, I think when get started, there's probably five, five or six tests per year. Yeah, that old, but um, <laughs> you know, but now you can kind of pick it up in you know four seasons. So, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a nod to 
you know, what you've given to the game in Australian Rugby Union, but also what, um, you know, you could still offer uh, the game as well. So, yeah, um, I think it's one of, yeah, it's, the thing for me is it, it can't be a, a hard and fast rule. It, it's it's got to be evolving because the game is is evolving. It's, you know, it's becoming more of a global game. It's, um, you know, there's more and more professional um, competitions popping up, like we're seeing with the the, the professional union um, in in America. So the game is growing, which means that the landscape's changing, and and sometimes the hard and fast rules um, can really kind of compromise teams that that stick to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the teams. Sorry, um, I actually completely agree with you on the bringing players over to France or sending them over to Japan or wherever it is and exposing them. I mean, it, it has to be a healthy thing. And if you look at someone like England, I mean, they're they're more than happy to get a coach who's had various experience in in various leagues. Yeah, but they don't allow their players the same privilege, which I think is ridiculous yeah. actually. And also, as yeah. as a professional, you should be allowed to earn as much as you possibly can wherever that opportunity may lie. I mean, I, I think it's also it may not necessarily just you know I mean. A lot of the time, you know, especially with players coming from the Southern Hemisphere up is, oh, he's chased the big money and all that type of thing. And a lot of the time, the numbers they report are completely off the mark. But Mm. for some players, it could genuinely be about the climate or the type of footy or just their family are um, better suited here or whatever it might be. I mean, I think Stefan Armitage... Yeah. For example, in England, I think there's been a strong argument about him for a long time now. Um you know, I, I don't. It's not the money because he could get more money in um, in England, but I think he just genuinely enjoys the climate here. He enjoys the place. I mean, he grew up in Nice. He went to yeah. school in Nice. Um, he fits as in well as obviously part of the, um, his schooling and um, whatever in England as well. But um, you know, so I don't know if it's just a matter of you know guys chasing money. I think that's just a very naive kind of point at you know like a very blanket approach to it um you know from people who necessarily may you know they might be supporters of someone or a team that like that may not get the player they want and so that the easy thing to say is oh he's chasing the money but it's not always the case and it it is sometimes the case i mean i i openly admit that i went to the western force early in my career for money and it turned out to be a, a, a wrong decision of mine but it was also a decision that i'd learnt from a lot and so from that point, I never made a decision on my rugby about for financial reasons. That's um, all right. Obviously, it comes into play, but it, 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 for me, it couldn't be the sole, um, you know, factor in, in my decision because, I, you know, I got burnt by it when I went to the Western Force. So these things sort of you learn from, and um, I think it's, yeah, it's, ne- it's never a blanket approach and it's never as cut and dry and black and white as, as sometimes reported, um, you know, for these players, which is sad because I think sometimes when players try to defend themselves, you know, it can kind of get, um, it can kind of kind of get, you know, drowned out with the volume of... Um... I think the worst thing players try and do is say, it's not about the money. In fact, if they just said, it's absolutely about the money because, yeah. it, you know, are you going to pay my pension? Are you, you going to, you know, look after the mortgage? It's a completely reasonable argument. I... Yeah, I, I think I think for sure. I think because, you know, in, in any other work or form of work, I mean, if, if someone gets offered a promotion from a different company, then no one begrudges them. Mm-hmm. But I think also the difference for us is that company may not necessarily have a fan base that pay a lot of money to come and watch you and support you and all that type of thing. Mm. So we get that there's passion involved and, and emotion and things, but, you know, for, you know, I guess it's, 
from the player's point of view, that it's a short window for us to earn and, and that type of thing. And, and not to mention um, the risk. I mean, it, it's a hard thing. Uh, and unfortunately, we probably don't get enough honesty. Um, I, I know that when I went to the Western Force, I was 23, and I most certainly didn't at the time say I was going for money. But, you know, I went over there and I, I grew a lot more as probably a person and as a guy, as a man rather than as a footballer because I went through some pretty pretty hard times in that period, mm-hmm. um, you know, with fraudulent companies and sponsors and all the works. But Now, that's interesting you mention that because when you say Western Force, I didn't actually realise that this included you, but I always think of Matt Gitto going there as the million-pound man for... Yeah, well, I mean, at the time... Was that you so as well? So and I went at the same time for the same period of time. Yeah. He just was signing for a lot more, but we were also signed by the same... Is it power? Bo- a sponsor, fire power, power pellets or something. Was no, not actually a, uh, you know, a, um, a legitimate company. So was it not? We, um, we got signed a fair bit by that. So, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what was the incentive? Were they saying we're going to pay you? Well, this company's going to sponsor you or pay you or? How, yeah. So how did the, it work? Um, basically, it was just a third-party deal on top of. So, when you do a contract in Australian rugby, you, you do a, you get a. Um, you get a portion of your money from the state, but then you get a top-up from the Australian Rugby Union. Okay. Um, if you can, if your managers can go out there and find it, then you can get a, um, a third-party deal. On this occasion, our third-party deal was with the sponsor of the club as well. Oh, um, nice. And, you know, um, for three years, we were promised a certain amount, you know, obviously differing amounts for, for I think, the five or six of us that were involved in them. But, um, yeah, so for three years, we didn't see that. And... For me, it was, it's, you know, it's pretty significant. It's 40% of my wage. and <gasps> That's um, terrible. So when you go there for those reasons and you don't get it, then it's obviously a pretty bitter pill to swallow. But learning more about it, um, you know, these guys also took people's pensions. They took people's life savings and they didn't get a penny of it, you know. And at the time, I was 23, 24, 25, still with the, you know, the 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 capacity to earn after that whereas you know there are people in positions where they you know they earned all their money throughout their life and put it into this company and it turned out to to go pear shape for them so they're you know the people far worse off than than we were and uh yeah i, I mean um, it, is genuine... it was just a, an unfortunate situation for, for a lot of people which was um which was unfortunate i mean it is genuinely amazing that a company like that can get to such a size and have so much legitimacy leading up to it all it was just a matter of circumstance really i think you know without going into too much detail it was you know getting photographs of the right people yeah and it which would make it seem a little bit more legit than it was but what you don't understand through those photographs is is the conversations that were being had and basically them saying you know basically beat it kind of thing but you know when you're seeing them having a photograph of the prime minister or the russian president then you think oh these guys are pretty legit (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, well i mean i mean you obviously would do yeah exactly so um and also you know we're getting we're getting advice from our management at the time so um you know we all thought it was all above board but it was just one of those lessons that we learned the hard way but um it also was a good thing for me because then you know it certainly didn't feel like a good thing for for the time that i was going through it but i think the good thing that came from it was that, you know, I um, I learnt that, you know, you don't make uh, rugby decisions based on financial um, incentives. Goodness, no. So, I mean, that must have been the event, really, when it all fell through, which really prompted the move to Toulon. 
Is that correct? No, no. So I actually said to myself, I, I felt that I was kind of getting a bit negative and a bit acidic uh, in that environment. I was chasing meetings and uh, all types of things for a long time um, that never eventuated because obviously they were trying to evade those types of scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just sort of said, look, I've just got to get back east. So I then went back to... Um, that's right, I went yeah. to the uh, back to the Waratahs for two years and then signed on again for another two. So I had four years at the Waratahs after the Western Force and then that was then the time where I um, I decided to, to head over over to France. You obviously had a lot of exposure to Australian rugby. Was it a bit of a shock landing in Toulon and experiencing the way that they play? Yeah, uh, I, I think the biggest shock for me was um, one, walking around our gym and just sort of seeing the calibre of player we got. But two, it's just... Um, the club setups over here, um, without being sort of um, detrimental or you know sounding like I'm, yeah, I'm sure. putting, you know, but they, they, like the setup and the the way that Australian rugby do things that I'd experienced uh, are years and years ahead of what we do here. Is that right? Um, which really surprised me because of the caliber of player we got, um, you know, with. Yeah, just just really small things that um, things that you wouldn't even have to think about in Australia that you're you're dealing with here, and um, you know I'm, I'm I've loved every minute of it. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know they're they're just they're yeah. I guess there's just things that it, it's um it's it's done in a different way here than uh, than than in a, than what I'd experienced in Australia and Super Rugby, and and speaking to guys also who'd been involved in. New Zealand rugby, South African rugby, it's um, it's it's certainly somewhat different. And, you know, to be fair, Toulon's, one of Toulon's slogan is, um, in Toulon, everything is different. And uh, it most certainly is. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you think that's almost like a result of the fact that you do have all the best players in the world? So maybe you don't need to go that extra, you know, that extra length with the organisation or the extra gym session or, well, you know, you've already got it. They're already the yeah. best. I mean, I, I thought... Um, don't get me wrong. I think that the training's still intense to a point. Um, the thing is, when you get all those players in, in an environment, um, guys that you played against, guys that you kind of long for their respect. Um, you know, I'm turning up to training and guys that I've been marking my whole entire career or guys I've been playing against, your Bucky's or your Brian Abanas or your Johnny Wilkinson's. Yeah. You want to show them that, you know, that you've got something to offer, that you deserve to be out there on that field with them or, you know, that you almost want to surprise them and think, you know, because there's, you know, to be fair, there's probably some guys i played against that I thought, oh, you know, geez, I wish I played against him now, yeah. knowing more about the way they play or train or whatever. But then there's other guys thinking, geez, I didn't give this guy anywhere near enough respect, you know. Ooh, uh so um, that's kind of the... the you know, the, the added bonus, I guess, of coming and playing over here is that you get exposed to so many different players, but also so many different ways of preparing for games and mindsets and the way they approach the game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's different. I mean, the one thing here at Salon that's probably a little bit different to other clubs is we don't do any contact training, which is, which is an absolute dream. That surprises yeah. me. I actually thought that you would. No, because Bernard... Bernard Laporte sort of says that, you know, there's 35. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 40 games a season. He said, you, you know, there's enough contact in games, enough opportunity to get injured. So, and the turnover of players and, you know, the way they have to manage teams for away games and home games and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. There's enough of it that, he doesn't want to subject anyone to, you know, the potential of getting injured at training. So, um, yeah, so there's um, – touch wood to date, I've actually not had to attempt to tackle at training. Oh, good. Uh, okay, yeah. so just going back to something you said before, who was there who you didn't realise was as good as they actually are? Um, I mean, I always I always thought uh, – I mean, I, I definitely don't want it to be taken the wrong way that I didn't rate them or anything. Yeah, yeah, of course not. I think um, – like, for example, Juan Smith is a genuine beast. And I think he was playing, you know, like probably at the time, the Cheetahs weren't the strongest team and he wasn't able to impose himself maybe as much as mm-hmm. well, as he's capable of because he's the guy that we genuinely, genuinely miss. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's just injured his plantar fascia and he, he'll be out, you know, he's been out for maybe the last two or three weeks. And he's a guy that you just, when he's in your team, you just go out there knowing that he's going to belt guys and that when people are running back from counter-attack, they're looking up, looking out for him. Like he's a, I don't know, he's just got this strength about him. He's got this sort of fend that keeps people at arm's length and he'll be in the the, the worst possible position body shape-wise and still dominate someone. Um, Brilliant. I, yeah, I just, I don't know, I just think that he's uh, he's, he's just really good for us and uh, and and perhaps not not... I just I think sometimes he probably doesn't get the plaudits that he deserves because um, yeah he's he's very good. Oh uh, yeah, and not only that, his story is really oh. interesting too. I mean, yeah, he I mean, was pretty much retiring for two years because of his Achilles, and uh, I mean, Toulon gave him a chance, and you know he's come back. He's just signed on for another year. Has so, he? Uh, I'm not sure if that's public, but <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, well, well let, let's say he might do in the future. He potentially may stay for another year. <laughs> But you know what I mean, but which is great because he's he's well liked within the group and uh, and very well respected and it's just um yeah I mean it's one of those things when you're ex- more exposed to players um, you see how they approach the game and some guys are really relaxed other guys are really you know intense mm-hmm. and get really anxious um, I don't know it's I mean Bucky's was a guy that that really surprised me not from a playing point of view but he's just a, like he jokes, he he laughs, he, you know, at training he's running around, he's clapping, he's yeah baby, like all sorts of things. <laughs> but when you when you see him on the field, he's you know he's he's the hardest man in the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like how's it, my Aussie friend? You know, like he's just he's just you know like he's not that he, I ever questioned that he was a good guy, but he's just I don't know. I guess his persona off the field is different to 
you know, what he, uh, how he plays the game, which, um, you know, we all know how he played the game. Doing these interviews, one thing I've noticed with all rugby players is their persona, which perceive them to have on the field, is completely different when you interview yeah. And it happens over and over again. I mean, the worst thing in the world is when we first started podcasting, we would say silly things about players like, oh, he, uh, X is an idiot or whatever it may be. And then you meet the guy and he's actually really, really nice. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. You know, uh, oh, no, I've found that all I've the time. Formed, like, I'll admit, I've formed opinions by just watching guys on the field and then get to play with them or, or, or meet them and completely change it. And I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's plenty of players out there that maybe think I'm a bit of a wanker. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. But yeah, you um, can. Say whatever you want. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you could just get like a bit of a feel for someone, but then when you get to meet them, hopefully I would maybe change that opinion if that was their first opinion of me. But I'm pretty sure you're not very popular in the Saracens camp. Let's put it that way. You uh, you knocked him out of two European Cups, so... Oh, that's true, yeah. But um, I did catch up with a few of those boys in uh, in Cannes at the film festival. Um Oh, no, actually, no, they're the Harlequins boys, different guys. <laughs> you just made yourself even more unpopular. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, oh, no, sorry about that. Maybe we can cut that bit out. No, that's fine. Away from the field, you yep. are up to all sorts. And um, one of the reasons I managed to get hold of you is because you're involved in Sporple. Now, yeah. for those who don't know what it is, and I know exactly what it is, just tell us a bit about Sporple. Yeah, so, I mean, I, um, so a guy, Matt Cole, who used to... Um, you know, be my agent, work with my agency uh, back in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, he was finishing up as an agent and uh, came to me with, you know, I guess this idea that um, essentially there's a, a, there's a huge market for players at various levels of, of, of rugby that um, would love the opportunity to go and play overseas. Um, but because of uh, perhaps the level of rugby that they may play or the... I guess the amount of money that they may attract, there's not necessarily too many agents that are going to facilitate those deals. Um, and for, for a lot of those guys, you know, it might be a gap year. It might be a genuine pathway to try and further their rugby career. They might hold dual passports. They mm. might just want to get exposure or, or whatever it might be. There's many different sort of motivating factors. But if they weren't in that sort of top echelon of, you know, professional players, there weren't too many agents out there that were interested in, connecting them with, with clubs or, um, you know, with different leagues around the world. And um, so basically it's um, a platform for players to show their wares and uh, and also for coaches and clubs to, to go searching for players that they may necessarily, that they may need or they may want, um, you know, at their club. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a platform to connect and, you know, and, uh, you know, and maybe like we've seen Fijians go and play in France or yeah. Sporpool or South Africans go and play in France or in the UK or in Ireland or wherever it might be. And, um, you know, some it may genuinely be just to get, you know, a bit of cash or and a bit of a part-time job with one of the club sponsors or, um, you know, a position with a professional team and, and perhaps go on for, you know, um, you know I, I guess a, a budding professional uh, career. So, um yeah, I mean, I think at the moment we're maybe across 35 different countries and, you know, I guess with these types of platforms, it's about mass and getting getting people on it. And I think once we sort of can show that there are, you know, it's 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 working and it's it's placing players and, and clubs are getting what they want, players are getting what they want and, and it's working, that, um, you know, we'll start getting more, more and more players on there. And uh, I think it's just a great opportunity for, you know, for... for 
for for kids and athletes and whoever who mm-hmm. who it is that's looking for for those opportunities is to go out there and and chase it yourself. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes if you go to the right school or you you know you play a good game in front of the right person, it works out for you. But sometimes you may not get those opportunities. So, um, you know, if if it, it, it's a really good opportunity for players if you want it enough to um, you know the balls in your court and um, you can you can go a long way to to sort of paving your way in in, in your uh, in your career. So without making it sound like um, or giving any publicity to any other social media sites, is it kind of like a LinkedIn for rugby? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's a LinkedIn for sport. Where we're also just about to launch, um, you know, for basketball as well. Um, and you know, and I think the thing is with with these sports is is it, it's global. Um, yeah, you know, you could very well be a player in any country in the world, and you know, the, like I, I mentioned before, with rugby, there's there's more and more professional um, rugby tournaments uh, popping up, um, you know, around the world. With you know, like I said, the uh, um, the pro rugby in in the United States, but also now with the um, sevens becoming an Olympic sport, there's more yeah, exposure, there's more interest, and and there's more and athletes as well, from, from... more money, and and there's more countries playing it. So, um, you know, there's there's genuine op- uh, opportunities for players if. Uh, you know, if you want to sit down and put a little highlights clip together and, and fill out your profile and and actively go and and, uh, and connect with with clubs around the world, I've got to it say, it could also just be for players that who may have an interest in in living in a in a particular country, happen to happen to be pretty good at a um, at footy or at a certain position, and you know, and you get the best of both worlds. Um, it's not always just for the guys that are just trying to strive for you know, a, um, a professional career. It's also if you want to go and experience something as well. So it's it's good that it, it ranges in, so it caters for so many different people for whatever their motivating factors are. I've got to say, every time you tweet the featured player, I always have a quick look, always see if there's some highlights up. And I think that's the other thing as well, is it's so easy now just to, you know, with, with the way that social media and, and, you know, phones and cameras and camera phones and all that type of thing, it's very easy to have footage of yourself training. And, you know, if you can... If you can show what um, what you're capable of, and just a, a small little snippet, just to, to just to grab that attention right at the beginning, then you know it goes a long way to to furthering that conversation and um, and perhaps that opportunity. And you do realise, of course, that if you don't decide to finish your career in too long, your move's going to have to be done via sport, all right? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be straight on there, and I'll make sure that. Um, you know, whichever whichever club I sign with is is it's through uh, it's through Sportball. Superb. You, you've mentioned uh, the American leagues uh, a couple of times now. Is that an area which yeah. you're particularly targeting? Um, oh, I would never say never. I mean, I've, I've visited uh, United States a number of times, and I've always enjoyed it. Um, you know, there's 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 no denying I'm I'm getting on a little bit. Um, I actually feel probably younger playing here than I'd played than I was feeling when I left Australia in rugby, to be honest. I think at the time, the current sort of regime sort of made you feel if you're on the, you know, getting towards 30 that you're, you know, you, you, they sort of start to mm. look look ahead and the push for the younger guys was probably a little bit earlier than it is over here. And, um, yeah, and I, I think that's why you see, you, you know, your Juan Smiths, your Matt Giddos and um, Bucky's and Ali Williams, all these guys are, 
you know, the, on the other side of 30, but playing some of their best football once they got over here. And I think it's because you're made to feel young. I think you, if you add value on the field, then that is that is what's important, not, uh, you know, not the date of birth on your passport. So um, I think sometimes there's a real rush, not just in Australian rugby, but, um, you know, just in rugby in general to get the young guys through. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think Toulon has, has shown, actually, it's about employing experts at their position regardless of age. And it works yeah, really absolutely. well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also that the blend of playing with some some younger guys, I think if you if you look at the starting winger, Josh Tuiasova, the Fijian boy that's mm. playing on the wing uh, for us at the moment, I think he's potentially the best Fijian player I've ever seen. Wow. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I know that I go out of my way to try and sit down and, and help him as much as I can, and and so does Brian. And um, you know, we've you know we've got some some class outside backs that are able to kind of give him that type of understanding that um, you know because you know we, we all know that he's a, he's like a genuine beast. Like we're not going to match him physically. <laughs> so um, you know, he's and he's come largely from a sevens background. Oh, I see. And if so- we can. Uh, if we can instill in him some positional play or, you know, some, some, just some of the things that we look for, whether it be body language of the playmakers of the opposition team, because, you know, it's not always, it's, it's about being proactive. I think for us in the back three, Hmm. Um, I might already, I might see a number nine looking for the space before he goes into the ruck. So I'll know that he's already got a, you know, his mind's already about, you know, kicking it long or the tens looking for the space. And so it gives you an indication that maybe they're looking for that. Whereas sometimes if you don't have that experience, you're waiting for them to kick and then you're reacting to it. So, um, you know, we're just, you know, little things like that where you can pass on to Josh and just say, mate, just start watching for body language. It's because we're a long way from the ball. Yeah. You know, we don't have any immediate threat right in front of us. We can start to, we we can afford to look at those little things. So um, I think that's the good thing about Toulon as well is there's a good blend of um, older guys, but also um, younger guys. And the most, you know, the more sort of experience or, or, I guess knowledge that we can pass on to these guys. Um, I guess it helps. Uh, it helps the group. And have you managed to get any words out of Lee Hoffman yet? Yeah, no, he's he's a good man. I mean, he's he's had a, a real tough time in the last sort of ten months. And, oh, and the national teams felt it too. To be fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's um, you know he's he's you, you go a long way. I think probably him and Johnny will be unrivaled in terms of how much they train and how much they. They uh, commit themselves to the game, and uh, to see him go through what he's been through in the last ten months, and then go out there and play the way he did against Montpellier. You know, he hadn't played a game for for ten ten yeah. months, and and uh, and went out and played the way he did. I thought it was um, was uh, a really you know like it was tremendous for him. It was good for the club, but better for him. And uh, you know, and I think you know we'll see another big performance from him on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say when I heard that. Lee Halfpenny was going to be coached by Johnny Wilkinson. I thought that might be too much intensity, even for those two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Johnny, Johnny's, Johnny's good. I think if if you can get him away from footy, that's when he relaxes. But when he's at footy, oh, he, um, you know, like he's he's very committed and he'll be out there for hours. There've been a number of times where he's come to coach us because he coaches us sort of, you know, one week per month um, type thing on a skills basis and. And each time he's in town, myself and Gitz will go for lunch, uh, for dinner with him or for lunch. And, and he'll always turn up in the training kit because he's just got off the field. <laughs> and, um, you know, he'll always have to delay it because he, he will never say no to a player. And, um, you know, he's just he's the ultimate professional, whether it be a, as a player or now as a, as a coach as well. So, um, well, he's a fascinating character. Oh, yeah, sure. he is. And, 
you know, getting to know him personally has, has been, you know, has been great for us. And uh, we've been to his, uh, we've spent some time at his holiday house in Majorca with him and his wife. And um, yeah, he's a completely different character, you know, once you get him away from that football field, which is, um, you know, again, part of the reason why you come to these, these teams like Toulon. We've just been speaking about committed men possibly the most committed man in the whole um, organisation, and he backs it up with his checkbook, is Mr. Bougelot himself. What's he like to work with? He strikes me as an owner who's quite ha- quite hands-on. Um, <laughs> this is a tricky one for me. Um, <laughs> say nice things. Just say nice things. Yeah, of course, of course. No, he he's done great things to the club. When, when he came to the club, uh, we're in second division, um, and he had a vision, and he's openly said that he treats it much like a fantasy rugby team, but in real life for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think the one thing about uh, the club here in Toulon is they won't sign a player unless they're endorsed by a player that's played for Toulon. Really? Currently or, or prior, yeah. So it's not just about getting the best players, but it's also getting people that will fit the, the environment. And I think that's also been a big part of the success that we've had recently is that um, you know, any any player that's come has usually been quite a close friend, or has had quite a long time spent with a player that's currently here, or has most or recently retired, or or whatever. Oh, so, oh wow, it sounds a little bit like Freemasonry. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it is it, it is important to you know, I guess um, you know, like to, you know, in all honesty, I was speaking to Gits a lot when I was thinking about coming over here. Myself and Matt actually spoke to. Um, Philippe Saint Andre and Morad uh, in 2010, I think. Mm-hmm. That was when Matt actually came over here. He came to uh, two years before me. Yeah. Um, and so I had some dialogue with them at that period, and then I signed with the Waratahs again. But um, after that, it was Bernard Laporte. But you know, Gitz was certainly a guy that I, I spoke to a lot, and that also um, passed on a lot, I guess, to to. Morad and, and the coaching set up as well. Oh that's, oh, that's absolutely brilliant. So when you get the ear of the owner, say, you know, you're injured, he's in the crowd, you pull him aside, who are you going to recommend next? Um, no, I, it's not It's not necessarily a, uh, a player go to them and recommend, but <laughs> they, they will come to us and say, what do you think of this player? And we'll say yes, or we'll just say no, it's not good for the group, or he's not what we're after, or... Because ultimately, and also, um, you know, I'll just be, I think it's it's very important to be honest in these situations because it's people's careers and mm. people's lives. If, if you know, if, if uh, I'll, I'll be honest with them and say, you know, this is, these are the really good things about Sloan and these are the things that aren't so good and, you know, you go make your decision. Um, I'm not going to make it before you because ultimately if they come here and don't like it, then... I, I would hate for that to fall on my shoulders. So, you know, I'll give them everything and they can then make the decision they um, they think is best for them. Yeah, and also when he comes up to you and says, what do you think of signing uh, Surveyor and George North? You can say it in there. They're not good <laughs> yeah, for the well, I mean, I, Troublemakers. I think the George North one would probably go to Lee Halfpenny and the Surveyor <laughs> one would go to Mar. But, um, you know, if it's, a, if it's about an Aussie, uh, you know, then obviously they'll come to us. And it's not even just... Um, you know, just the, you know, even for the Espoirs, they'll ask us, you know, have you heard about this young guy or, or whatever it might be? So you should draw um, like a tree of lineage for each player recommended by who? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, and I was fortunate. I um, I was endorsed by the Golden Boy Matt Giddo, so um, of course I was I was always going to sign. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that that's probably the best indoor. Outside of Johnny, that's probably the best. Outside of Johnny, yeah. I mean, I think Gibbs has sort of taken his little his throne at the moment. So, I mean, I was here when Johnny was here, but at the time Johnny was was the boss. But I think maybe Gibbs has sort of taken that uh, taken that crown at the moment. Oh, I mean, there was some statistic about him in the playoffs this week that when he plays, you win something like ninety percent of games or something. It, it's something silly. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think the statistic just I think um, mirrors the the impact that he has on the group, and it uh, it may not necessarily be, you know, physically with line breaks or, or try assists or this and that, but I think it's something that you know, like again, like a Juan Smith, if he's in your team, you feel more confident going into a game, and uh, um, you know, there's and fortunately for us, we've got a few players like that that um, you know going into games if if they're playing, then uh, you know. More often than not, they're going to get you on the on the front foot, or they're going to manage the game well, or they'll come up with something. Um, you know, so it's um, it's I guess it's uh, it's a good it's well for me. I, I've loved playing in this team because there's just so many different elements that uh, that make it uh, really enjoyable to to be a part of. Well, I mean, not um, not only does he help you win win games, Marketo, but from what I hear, he's also helped you break a few Guinness World Records. Or at least yeah, well, yeah, he has. I mean, that was that was just a thing at the, at the time that um, that was. I said, um, this year I want to. You know, my news resolution was to break a Guinness World Record. Wow! Um, and pretty much didn't put any thought into it after that. <laughs> and then um, a lady at the at Sky Sports said, you know, maybe a month later, said, Drew, if you're serious, we'd love to facilitate it, you know, and, and film it, and you know, do a bit of a segment on it, whatever. I said, look, if you can facilitate it, I'm happy to attempt them. I said, but I just <laughs> want to make sure I get at least one. So I would I have loved them to come back to do you. this and then it fail, and you know, and then obviously I look silly. To be I, fair, I look silly doing all of them anyway. But done them, them and then not achieve them, it would have been, been even worse. Um, I would have loved them to say, yeah, we will facilitate it, and then come back to you with some stupid ones like twelve marathons in twelve days. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, there just were, there outrageous, outrageous no. Others that I knew there was no chance, but um, that I was probably most proud of was the apple crushing one in my bicep because that's pretty I cool, don't actually. have big arms, and I, that that was one that I'd completely written off. So to get that, I was like, oh, how good's this? And is there any gaming there? Is it like mm, we'll get some overripe apples, or is, is there a tester making sure that your apples? No, are so the appropriate. Well, no, we had two official um, Guinness World Record. Uh, employees there that, mm-hmm. that flew over from the UK for the day. Um, they they checked the apples and whatever, and, and I, I tried a couple, <laughs> and, and also the the crew they all tried one just to see how it went, you know. So we we kind of we um, we cut off a few apples, you know, from the testing pool. Okay. And then the first time I went, I got five, and the Guinness World Record official said stop, and then he went, oh, I'm so sorry. I stopped it at 30 seconds. It's, you know, the record's in a minute. Oh, "Oh, mate. So I'm thinking the record was 11. I'm thinking I got five and 30. Like, I'm a chance here. Uh, So then the next time I went again and I got 10 in the one minute. This is uh, actually starting to sound quite tiring. Yeah, yeah. Well, because there's a technique in it, which I guess I had to to work out because you had to wipe your arm after each, each apple because obviously all the apple juice would go over your arm and the next one would slip out. Uh, so I said, guys, I'm a chance. I'm getting this. And they said, we've only got four apples left. I said, well, you're going to the market because I need more apples. It sounds like a, like a wonderfully useful um, use of food. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I think we maybe nibbled on a couple afterwards, but um, yeah, I said, look, I'm sorry, guys, you have to go to the uh, the market because I'm a genuine chance here. And then, um, and off to the markets they went and bought more apples, and so they're genuine, you know, like you know, ready to eat um, fresh apples from the markets here in France. And excellent. And, uh, so, if, if you were to do it again, and if it wasn't to be you, who do you reckon in that pack could crush the most apples with with a bicep? Because there's, oh. be, there's got to be some real contenders. Yeah, I mean, you're Dwayne Vermeulens. Um, I think one guy that played with us at the beginning of the season but retired halfway through, Gerard Vosloo. He's got, he's got uh, some, uh, some enormous arms as well. He played seven years at Clermont. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's got some arms that... Um, I think if he just clenched his fist, he'd probably break an apple in his bicep <laughs> like he's that big. But... Um, I don't know, but I think maybe sometimes just having no biceps like me, uh, well, and having know. that flat arm just to sort it's of all lock about it technique, down. eh? Yeah, I think maybe the big ones maybe hinder you. I don't know. What was the other one you did? Hundred meters in clogs. Yeah, which um, yeah, actually I won't go into that story. That that cost me a little bit of money. That one did it. <laughs> yeah, go I got fined go a couple of grand for uh, by who? Well, the club. What did the club not know that you were trying to break records? Well, yeah, but I think because when it was released, I was injured, but when it was filmed, I oh, wasn't. Oh, no. Bit of conjecture there. It's going to the TMO, that one. Yeah, yeah, probably best keep that one quiet I mean, or maybe confiscate all of the Guinness Book of World Records. That are no, I mean, the they play. know about it um, and and the deed is done and the, oh. the sanction has been implied. But, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, like whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Guinness World Record if... You know, I've got four of them on my wall. I could just imagine the awkwardness as you walk past Bernard Lepore and he's busy thumbing through his Guinness Book of World Records and you've got to stop him. <laughs> no, I think it's just probably a bit more of a jealousy thing, to be honest, because they couldn't break them. But Exactly. It, that is a real talent. And now, uh, before I let you go, sure. I did mention to a few of my friends that I was interviewing, that I was interviewing Drew Mitchell. Yeah. So they sent me a picture of you and Adam Ashley Cooper. Now, it turns out there's actually a few of these, and it's a professional shoot. What's all this about? <laughs> yeah. And what were we wearing? Uh, what were you wearing? That's a great question. Let me try and describe it. Uh-huh. Uh, it looks like something from Japanese culture, maybe. No, no, no. We're in Bali, actually. Ah, okay. Far away, then. So it was just after a... Um, no, it was actually just before a Four Nations Rugby Championship, and we had a week off, and... Uh, you know, I we used to live together back in uh, in Bondi before I before I moved over here, and we thought, you know, let's let's just get away and clear the mind before we start a pretty um, you know, you know pretty tough uh, campaign with the Four Nations and and off to Bali we went and my mum uh, so Adam and I um, I'm born on the 26th of March 1984. Uh-huh. Adam's the 27th of March 1984. Oh, okay. Um, I'm the 799th Wallaby. He's the 800th. Oh wow. Uh, his mum's name's Karen. My mum's name's Karen, and they're spelt the same. There um, we go. You guys we should hang out. Inadvertently, both had an investment property on the same street that we didn't know about. Uh, so there's just some like some weird links, right? And my mum. Gets really like gets along really well with his mum, and yeah, you know, like there's just yeah, you know, there's there's just like too many sort of uncanny kind of coincidences between myself and Adam, and um, you know, which is probably part of the reason why we get along so well. Um, especially, it's probably not 
probably not um, too common that you get along so well with a guy that you've been competing with from the time you're t- you know, 19, 20 years old for yeah. the position in, in every level of footy you've played in. But, um, you know, like we, we obviously are great mates and we're over in Bali and uh, and it was, I think, maybe coming up to maybe Mother's Day or, or maybe we're getting in early for Christmas <laughs> or something. I'm not sure what it was, but we thought, why not let's just go to this traditional Balinese photo shoot and, uh, and get dressed up, make up and all, traditional... Um, dressage and and do a photo shoot and um well, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many of those photos you've seen but well i've, I've only got thought we we're a couple and uh well, i mean I've, uh, I've only got the one in front of me and my overwhelming feeling is jealousy actually i mean you both look great yeah i'm not sure if that's just the one where we've got our arms <laughs> crossed and looking down the barrel or if it's the one where no it's um one know. of us are behind the other one yeah that's the one that's the one yeah 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 so um let the boys anyway, play so, we did that, and soon enough, we had enough basically to, to make a calendar, and we uh, we made them up <laughs> and gave it to our, to our mothers, and um, you know, obviously, they saw the funniest side of it, knowing that <laughs> we're just a you know a couple of idiots that like to just enjoy ourselves, and um, and but sure enough, on the fridge they went, and true, uh, yeah, uh, our, our mums loved them, so um, that now you've added the calendar, the calendar element is an excellent story, but as a businessman. You should release that calendar. I would buy one right now. Perhaps. That the, I guess the other one that maybe could come into it is that... 20 quid right now for one of those calendars. <laughs> well, Matt Giddo went away, actually, um, to Australia for his rehab last year, for his groin rehab with his wife and his kids. And um, I was looking after his dogs for a couple of months and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And I made sure that we, we had a professional photographer come in to, to Lon to do a photo shoot, basically with portraits of your face. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, look, do you mind just doing a, a like a full shot of me? I'm going to take all my clothes off. I'm just going to have a football <laughs> in front of the part the part that needs to be covered. <laughs> and so they said, okay, that's fine. And uh, and I and off I went and we got that photo done and they sent it to me. And the, the awkward part in French, because I don't speak French and I'm not, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's very limited, but I went down to the equivalent to Officeworks and, and asked for a hundred copies <laughs> uh, of, of this particular photo, and the girl was like, oh, "Okay," and you know, a little bit embarrassed, and as was I. But mm-hmm. um, I printed, you know, maybe a hundred copies of those off, and and blue tacked them to the wall of Matt and his wife Bianca's um, bedroom, Brilliant. <laughs> basically just creating a mural of myself <laughs> um, in his uh, in his bedroom for when they got home. Did you um, leave? That- did you leave an extra picture for the lady behind the desk, Jill? No, but I did leave one just in uh, in his wife's top drawer. So, um, <laughs> you know, just, just that Matt didn't know about. But uh, guess that's your dog duty for the future. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, like if, if you want to make me look after your dogs and feed them, then pay the you know, price. You're going to come home to a feature wall. Well, Drew, that's been absolutely excellent. From Bondi to Toulon, and now you finally made it to the Rugby Dungeon podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries, mate. Thanks very much for having me. All right, mate. Take care. No worries. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Talk to you soon.